0: I get the privilege of being here a half a dozen times a year from Fort Collins, Colorado. I'm sitting over here thinking, what this group needs just a wee bit more enthusiasm. (laughs) You know, it it doesn't seem like that long ago that there were 19 of us in an old school. And now it's like this holy infection is spreading across the greater D.C. area and... and, um, This weekend, you've already had a a men's gathering at Barracks Row with a couple of hundred guys and chief of chaplains for the Air Force, Cecil Richardson, spoke and just, it was like a grand slam home run. He just knocked it out of the park. And um, so to be a part is, uh, is exciting. This is the first in a series, I don't know how long the series is, but it's a first in a series that starts with one word it's the word if and uh, when I when I called to say now are you in a series is this a stand alone talk um, Mark said um, you know we're going to do a series on if verses that have if in them there are a lot of scripture verses that have if in them it's just two little letters but two little letters uh, that can change a lot of things um, two letters can change a lot of stuff like if you put U.S. before something, like United States Army or, you know, that sort of stuff. Even one letter can change. One letter in the wrong place can change, like like the difference between united and untied. You, you know, it all depends. This is going to sound cheesy and punny, but uh, it all depends where you put the I. Like if you... It can be marital arts or it can be martial martial arts. (laughs) Just thought I'd bring that up. But these two letters, IF, can either suggest regret or promise. Chaplain Barry Black of the United States Senate, retired two-star admiral, uh, was raised in the hood in Baltimore. And he had a mom that used the if word. She said to him... If you memorize a scripture, I will give you 25 cents per scripture. He was getting rich because he was going, as he said, mostly with short verses. His mom picked up on that and started giving him a nickel a verse. But to this day, he is full of scripture because his mom said, If you do this, then this. If is a conditional idea. I chose my if-verse out of the book of the Revelation. So if you have your Bibles tonight, I'd like you to turn with me to Revelation, the third chapter. The the writings in the first few chapters of the book of the Revelation are to churches in what is now Turkey, the seven churches. And this one, the church at Laodicea, is a very interesting one. I'm going to read it. And I have to tell you at one level, I'm, I feel awkward reading it because I don't think it applies to you. But I'm, I'm just going to read it and you can, you can see what you think. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is Revelation 3:14. These are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent or turn around. Here's the verse. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. When I look at this, I'm saying now this, this text doesn't apply here. And I mean that. This is not a lukewarm congregation by any stretch of the imagination. This is like you walk in here and the atmosphere is vibrating. It's an expression of your heart. This morning, that wasn't lukewarm this morning. So so on the, on the one hand, I'm saying, why am I saying this? Because I, I chose this text some, some days ago and I knew who you were. But this in, it's this interesting thing. Laodicea was a town that one direction had a town called Hierapolis and another direction had a town called Colossae. In Hierapolis, they had thermal uh, springs. It was hot water in Hierapolis. In Colossae, they had artesian wells that was cold water. And he's saying, you know, heat is a healer. Cold is a refresher. Be a healer or a fresher, but don't be tepid because tepid gets you nowhere. Yeah. And so... You know, I, I sense both hot and cold in this room in the best sense. I used to think this was a verse about if you were cold, you were just frozen, chosen, or whatever that is. And if you're hot, you're really enthusiastic. But that's not the context. The context and everything in Scripture it has to do with context, at least the base has. It's like, it's like real estate. You know, they say there are three words in real estate, location, location, location. In Scripture, context, context, context is really critical. And the context is, here sets this city, and they get the metaphor, they get the picture. You've got these refreshing cold springs here, and you've got this hot water over here. And one heals, and one refreshes. And he says, so be that, but don't be tepid. He goes on to suggest that they have an image of themselves, they understand themselves in certain ways, they have achievement, they have successes, and he says, but... But it's really the Emperor's close. You're naked, you're wretched, you all of these sorts of things. And and he comes to that what we call verse three three twenty and he says, you know, now in essence this fourth paraphrase, don't get freaked out, don't get totally discouraged, because I love you, I discipline you. We discipline our children. You know, my father used to say, Now, Dick, this is gonna hurt you, me more than it hurts you. And I'm rolling my eyes saying, Oh yeah, I get that, you know. <laughs> But those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, be serious about this, and turn around. Do something different. We just heard it here several times. You know, if the Lord is up to something, let's be willing to be experimental on the one hand, to be open to what he's doing, make adjustments on the other hand, in order to facilitate what his spirit is up to and about. But I want to come to this text. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. Theologians talk about this verse quite a bit because they say wrongly this verse is used to talk about evangelism. If you open your heart to him, he'll come in. They say that that the context doesn't allow for that, that this is written to the church to revitalize the church. But I would like to submit that the very ideas presented here are consistent with the character of Jesus, whether he's talking to someone who knows nothing about spiritual things or whether he's talking to someone who knows something about spiritual things but has wandered off and fallen in the creek or whatever it is. So here's the here's the metaphor. Here's the feel of it. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock, and it means a continual knocking, a continuous knocking. I'm knocking on the door, and I'm calling at the same time. Hello, anybody there? Hey, hello, anybody there? I I am standing at the door, and I am knocking, and I am calling. If anyone hears my voice, There are voice prints, you know that. You have a pastor who talks science and I talk this much science and if you press me for it, like the second question, I I don't have anywhere to go because I give you everything. But you can ask him a second question and even a third question. He knows all that. But there's something about someone's voice, a mother's voice in a child's ear when when he is rocked, or she is rocked. Um, Years ago, in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, when we had a congregation like this with people sitting on the floor around the front, had a radio program on the local CBS affiliate called Wake Up and Live. It was on Saturday morning for 10 minutes, and um, it was designed to bug pagans. That was sort of the idea of the program. We use secular music and interviews and things like that. And it was right after high school football scores or sports scores and just before Charles Osgood of Newsbreak, who's now on CBS Sunday Morning. So I feel close to him just because he doesn't know me, but I I feel (laughs) that. And one day I was making a telephone call. It's way before cell phones. I was calling California and, uh, and you used to have to go through an operator when you made a long distance call. So I'm waiting and the phone's ringing. And the operator says to me, I really like your radio program. I said, how do you know I have a radio program? She said, you're Dick Foth, aren't you? I said, yes. She said, I could tell by your voice. There's something about someone's voice that connects with us. And when you get to know the voice of the Most High, Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. They come when I call. They answer when I knock. My voice is the thing that calls them. What do I take away from this? One of the things I take away that Jesus is apparently relentless. He's apparently relentless. He is not the God who is a pouting God. If we don't do things, he says he doesn't pout or become petulant. he doesn't wander off and say, "I think I'll go find some other folks because these folks have fouled up, you know old folks over there he fallen he fell in the bog, and he was an idiot i'll just leave him there, and i'll just go over here you know it It says that he comes and he stands in the door at the door and he knocks, and he's persistent in that. The poet said. That, that he is the hound of heaven who chases us up the days and down the years. There are many pictures that artists have put together of this Jesus who stands at the door and knocks. And many of the pictures don't have a, a handle on the front door. And preacher types like me come along and say, you know, the, the, that the handle's on the inside and you have to open the door. And, and that's, how, that's how he gets in. When Carl Barth theologian of some years past saw that picture he's a swiss theologian he said nine no that's not how it is he says i am a rebel against god and i am shoving the furniture of my life up against the door the chairs and the tables and and, you know and the lamps and all that and jesus takes the cross and smashes down the door and chases me into the kitchen and grabs me and says gotcha and we say i give up this is not a passive god this is the God who says, I'm not passive. I'm not tepid. I'm refreshing. I'm a healer. I expect you to get that. I want you to be a part of the refreshing, healing thing that I'm doing. This idea that if I open the door, he will invite himself in. I love this. This, this it, at one level sounds strange to me. I'll knock on the door. I'll call. If you come, I'll come in and have your evening meal with you. Guess who's coming to dinner? He invites him. What are you? Here's the God who chases me down and then invites himself to dinner at my house. I think the idea behind it is why don't I have dinner at your house? And then ultimately we'll have dinner at my house. I'll take you where I am. You've heard me say this before, but when I first came to Capitol Hill, I'm a kid from East Oakland, California. I'm not a Yale graduate. I don't have money. Um, I'm not connected like some of the other brothers and sisters in Washington, DC. I don't have the history or the roots that I'm from East Oakland, California. And one of the, one of the first times I was walking through the halls of Congress and I was supposed to meet with a Senator, I, you know, I was insecure. All of us are insecure. Just in different places, all of us are ignorant. Just in different places, and here is the God who comes along and says, "Why don't we put you all together? We'll get one secure person out of it." You know, let's let's do that. You know, one really smart guy. You know, let's do that. But I'm walking and I'm sort of whining to God, and I say, "I don't know why I'm here." And and what I sensed Him saying to me is, "Here's the deal, folks." If you speak to me, if you speak to the king of the universe in the morning, it's not so difficult to speak to a United States senator in the afternoon. And I said, but how, how can I explain your journey to them? How, how can I explain, behold, I stand at the door? How, how do I explain that in, like, hill language or in Pentagon language? or I mean, because there are different dialects in town. Like, if you go to the hill, they're talking about markups and conferences and you know, and and stacked votes and all that. And if you go to the Pentagon, they're talking about taking a TDY to SYNC pack. And you go to state, they got another variation. It's just, you know. And so I couldn't use like church language, like blessing or salvation. You know, they don't don't use that so much in caucuses. And I I just had this thought that, that Scripture talks about place. Here it talks about a place. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's writing with church in Laodicea, a very specific place. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, here's, here's how it works, both. I'll leave my place. I'll come to your place. I'll take your place. Then we'll go to my place. So he says, why don't I come have dinner at your house? And then you can come have dinner at my house. Now see, this is consistent with the problem Jesus had in the gospels. When you read Luke 15, listen to how it says, to what it says in the first couple of verses. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners, and here's the killer, and eats with them. He eats with them. And Jesus responds to this by telling three stories. A parable of a lost sheep, 99 sheep are in the fold, one is lost, and he goes and finds the lost one. A lost coin, in those countries in the Middle East and South Asia, oftentimes the women will wear their valuables on themselves, bangles or coins, and she lost one of the coins and swept the whole house to to find the lost coin. And then the lost boy, or the parable of the gracious father. And in each of the the situations, he is chiding the religious types for saying, why can't you rejoice when somebody is set free? Why can't you rejoice when someone is found? Why can't you rejoice when someone comes back to life, if you will? I love that thought that Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And that, and he chides them on this. But his problem in the Gospels, in large part, was he, that he... He was charged with eating with these people. And, and you've heard this said here, and you've heard me say this here. This deal of eating with people is total identification, especially in this culture. If you ate with somebody, you were like them. That's how it worked. When you come to my house, let's say that we invite you over to our home in Fort Collins. You'd like it. It's, it's a nice house. But the thing you'd like most is that my wife Ruth makes unbelievable scones. And and freezer-made raspberry and strawberry jam with butter. And you'd like it. Trust me, you'd like it. Even if you're watching your weight, you'd like it. Maybe especially if you're watching your weight, you'd like it. But um, when you come to my house, of course, I've gone out and worked, and I've gotten American dollars, and then I buy the food, and then Ruth makes the meal. And when you come... You're not just ingesting the food that has been made. What you're ingesting is my life. That's my life. And so here is Jesus. And he's saying, I'd like to come in and eat up your life. I'd like to come in and so identify with you that you can never be the same. I want to come in and do that with you. I am the relentless God who is after you to have this meal that starts out as a temporal meal and ends up as an eternal meal. There is nothing more common in the world, essentially, than eating. Seven billion people on the planet eat. Some don't eat enough. Some eat too much. But the fact is, that's what we as human beings do. And that's the metaphor that is used here for saying, I want to identify with you when um, when I look at this, I see it as the same approach. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that's how it is. He is relentless for my life. He wants me to know him. When I think about the insistency or the persistence of God. I think of our oldest daughter, Erica, Erica Clements. I called her this afternoon and said, I want to use you for an illustration, is it okay? She said, yeah. She and her husband have four children. The eldest is a junior at the University of Oregon and the youngest is nine. Erica, two days ago, was 46 years old. When she was one, we lived in a little house in Urbana, Illinois, she was our only child. We had three rooms. Our bedroom, her bedroom, and a room that I used for an office. We had a small congregation, one of those 19-people congregations. And I was young, and I wanted action. You know, I wanted so I would sit by my phone waiting for somebody to get sick so I could go help But you know, one of those days. But I'd be studying in my office, and I'm trying to concentrate, getting the message together, and there'd be this little tap on the door. Eric is one years old. I'd say, I'm in here, honey. It'll be a little while. It won't be long, hon. I'll be right out. There was a gap under the door, and pretty soon she'd, she'd start calling. I knew her voice. You know your kids' voices. You know their cries. She'd say, Daddy. And then this little dimpled hand would would come under the door. Of course, she doesn't remember any of this. I, I could have made it up for all she knows, but it, I did. A little dimple, and I'd hear, Daddy, and this, see this little hand going back. and like Maybe she could just get a little closer. There was something so sweetly insistent about that. She wasn't screaming at me. She was just calling to me and wanting me to be with her like Jesus. He's not screaming at me. But neither is he going away. Because at the core, you're his. And he wants not only to be with you, but he wants us to be with him. Those of you who are watching on video, um, you can't see this, but my cousin is sitting in the front row. His name's David Boyd. And David and I are close. My mother was the eldest of six. My mother was the eldest of six, and she had four brothers. And one of those brothers was a twin. He was named Gerald, Jerry Boyd. All the Boyds were enthusiasts, pretty much. We loved to laugh. We loved to eat. We loved to joke. We love it when other people get hurt. You know, (laughs) stuff like that. And, um... Jerry came to the Lord. He had been in the Second World War. He had been brought up around faith. He had, I think, had an early faith in some way. But uh, he was going driving into Sacramento, California, and there was a youth gathering going on. And uh, he had this conversation, as I remember it, as, as I remember how it was told. He had this conversation with the Lord saying... Lord, there's this conference going on, and and if you want me to go there, I want you to have my brother Dudley outside the building. Dudley had been inside the building praying for the service, much like I heard some folks before service started in another place in this building praying for this service. And Dudley was in this building, his older brother, and, and he felt like the Lord said, get up and go outside. He got up, walked outside, stood on the curb, and Jerry comes around the corner in the car. Jerry gets out of the car. Dudley takes him inside. And that night, Jerry commits his life to Jesus. And he was an enthusiast. And he was a salesman. He could, he, he could sell you stuff you didn't want. Hey, and one of those guys, and he, he just he had this tremendous passion. But he was in business. He sold real estate. He, he was a business manager of a college. He did all these things. And, um, but he had this heart to lead people to Jesus. And this verse, Revelation 3.20, became his verse. David told me that one day, Jerry went to a, a meeting with, I think it was Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ. And some of you know about Campus Crusade and they have these four spiritual laws. These are the ways you get to know it. And he said, I came home, he was a teenager, and he came home and he said, my dad was standing on a kitchen chair, holding up these little tracks saying, David, I can do this. I can do this. And he started just introducing people to Jesus right and left. He was, in fact, the voice of God saying, hello, hello. Whoever, whomever he would meet along the way, he'd write him a letter like the next day and send him some verses like this. And David said that he would come down in the morning and his dad had this old Smith Corona typewriter And his his bedroom was filled with stacks of paper and whiteouts. You're young, so you don't... A typewriter is one of the... (laughs) But he had these boxes of whiteout, and and he would be typing letters to these people, encouraging them. David moved to Hawaii with Youth With a Mission, invited both sets of parents on both sides to come and live with him. came down, here was Dad. He was early in the morning typing his letters. And so David said, why don't you learn the computer? And... um, he said, "Oh, that's for kids." <laughs> but one of their kids, I think it was John Mark, uh, taught him the computer. John Mark was 12 or 13. Taught his dad the computer, and of course, he didn't need the whiteout anymore. And he, but er- early every morning, he'd be doing this, you know, doing type. And one day, David, <laughs> David came down, and his dad said, "David, do you know what a chat room is?" <laughs> and David said, "Yeah, I do." And Jerry said. The world is my parish. And he started going into chat rooms, like gross chat rooms, like sex chat rooms. These guys would be saying, I'd like to do this. And he'd say, Have you ever thought about Jesus? You know, this guy. And then he started spamming them. You know what I'm saying? That he was naughty, as a friend of mine would say from Bread. He was naughty. He started spamming them. They threw him off of AOL. Seven times, seven times. They, this is confession going around the world, but he's gone now, so you can't do anything. He's just in heaven. So. And hundreds and hundreds of people started responding to this because the voice of Jesus sounded a lot like Uncle Jerry. The last year of his life, which was three four years ago, 200 people started following Jesus because of the internet, off of chat rooms, because of Uncle Jerry. And that's how it was. Engineers from Sweden, farmers from Brazil, people from the remotest places of the earth. <laughs> because wherever you are on the planet, Jesus' said, says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock and I say, hello, Jim. Susan, Jose, Maria, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. If you go somewhere, I'll be there calling your name. So if you could open, (laughs) I'd just like to come in and eat with you. And you with me. And we'll be friends. And then we'll go to my place. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock and I call you and if you open, I will come in and we'll have an evening meal and we'll be friends. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me tonight? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for the power of your spirit at work among us. Thank you that there is no place that we can go, as the psalmist said. Though I go to the heights or the depths, there you are. Just in the quiet of this moment, I just want to say this to you. You may be someone who has known Jesus a long time, but somewhere... You found yourself somewhere between hot and cold. (laughs) Neither a healer nor a refresher. And you say, I I hear him. And I want to respond afresh. Or you may never have heard his voice. But you're hearing it tonight. Not because it sounds like foth, But because by his spirit he's touching your heart. At the end of this service this weekend when we're through here in just a moment, there will be folks at the front of the auditorium. You might just want to walk up to them and and just say, you know that thing that folks talked about tonight? I'm that person. Can you help me just respond in this moment? And the people who are here at the front will help you do that. So Lord Jesus, we stand amazed in your presence grateful for your grace, overwhelmed by your love. We stub our toes on your forgiveness and stumble over your joy. And we stand on tiptoe to see what it is you want to do next in us and through us and with us, both as individuals and as the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.